Come on, this is a time for your best hallelujah. Let's hear it. Come on, let's give God some praise. Hallelujah. Come on, that couldn't have been your best. Man, praise God for being here. I'm excited to be here. Are you excited? I'm excited. I'm enjoying uh, this worship. This is the second time, Jonathan, that they teamed us up, man. I just appreciate your worship, man. Come on, we give God praise for him. I enjoy Jonathan, his worship, his passion. I thank God for it. I thank God for you today. Hey, if you're one of our children, why don't you feel free to be dismissed at this time? You're going to go to daycare or, well, to your class, Sunday school, or however y'all get down, whatever y'all call it here. You ever wish you could get up and go to, with them, go to one of those classes? <laughs> like, yeah, man, let me tip out. Let me, they got some crackers in there. Let me just go hang out with them. But today, y'all got me, so hang in there. I'm excited to be here. Um, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Uh, today, we are going to continue the subject of righteous resistance which as everyone knows by now, it highlights uh, instances in the Bible when righteous people stood up and they opposed people, laws, and systems that were restrictive or oppressive. Uh, these were people of great faith, like last week, Pastor E. If you didn't hear his message, go back and check it out. It was a blessing. He talked about Esther. And Esther simply said, if I perish, I perish. But I'm going in to see the king because it is the right thing to do. Vashti's example before her is one that showed us that it does not always go well for those who resist. What makes righteous resistance so powerful is that people do it not knowing what the outcomes will be. They simply do it because it is the right or righteous thing to do. Today, we're going to meet some people who practice righteous resistance or who practiced resistance, I should say, thinking that they were righteous. But they did not get good results because actually, as opposed to being righteous, what we're going to discover is that they were self-righteous. Jesus, who provides the righteous element in our resistance. Jesus shows us what it is to be a righteous resistor. We need both resistance and righteousness. Righteousness without resistance doesn't get anything done. But resistance without righteousness has the potential to mislead, misguide, and misrepresent God. Today we're going to look at several examples of righteous re of resistance gone wild. Resistance gone wild. It is wrong. But thank God that Jesus is there to minimize the damage. Come on, everybody, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this time of sharing with these, your people. I decree and declare that your word is blessed and that for everyone who has come, and we humbly submit ourselves to the word today, that you're teaching us, you're leading us, you're guiding us. God, we thank you that nobody leads the same. Everyone leads enlightened and empowered to go out and more righteously resist a world that is more and more against you every day. This we believe you for, in Jesus' name. Come on, give God your best praise again. 
Thank you so much. Hey, I'm excited to preach the word of God to you in Mark chapter 10. If you would go there, starting with verse 46, but on your way there, do me a favor. Lift your cup up before the Lord. Come on, lift that cup up before the Lord. And would you humbly say, fill my cup, Lord, and let it overflow. Hey, listen, I might need to rely on this today. I want you to know it's important to me that you know, but as I preach to you, that I love you. And I value this opportunity that I have to sow the seeds of the word of God in your life. I pray that they make a difference. Today, I believe the word of the Lord is going to bring somebody a harvest. But if nobody has told you today that they love you, you just heard it. And it's sincere. It's real. Amen. Here's the word of the Lord. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. I'm in the New International Version. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside and he was church begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I just want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Uh, This is so exciting. Uh, Chapter 10 in Mark is a consistent theme of rejection and acceptance, understanding and misunderstanding, a lot of misunderstanding in the text, but mostly uh, for our theme of righteous resistance, it's important to know that there's a contrast between righteous and unrighteous resistance. It is revealed in the text that God has established many gateways for hurting and broken people to gain access, that's a key word, to Jesus. However, these gateways are often closed by self-righteous gatekeepers. Through a myriad of stories, the writer uses Jesus as central character, and he encounters various people. Some of them are rich, some poor, some young, some old, some are powerful, and some are paupers. Many who believe that they know him and have him pegged as opposed to those who just come to him in the spirit of prayer. Many uh, want Jesus to operate within the parameters of how they view and define him. Chapter 10 is a big lesson on how to approach Jesus and the attitudes and spirits that he finds acceptable as to those he does not find acceptable. Psalms 100 says this, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And the psalmist let us know, that there is a way to approach Jesus. There's a position and posture that is more readily awarded when you and I seek to have Jesus draw his attention to our pain and to our plight. But Jesus resists those who come high spirit and who are self-indulging, as well as those who try to use his power as a drive-through for self-promotion. Y'all know some people treat Jesus like the drive-through at McDonald's. They don't want to park or come in and commune with him. They just want to roll through and get a blessing and move forward. 
They just want the number one. It's important to establish. Y'all know what the number one is, right? The number one in prayer is when we come and ask God something that's only going to bless me or my family. We don't care how others are blessed or impacted. We only seek what promotes our personal well-being. Some people go to Jesus in prayer just for the number one and a large Coke. The fact is, the irony in the text is that the rich, the powerful, the influential, and those who served him or served with him, we would consider in the church, people who are in the church, are the very ones who miss him. People with the resources who could afford the most and those who had influence, who had seen the most, are the ones who misunderstood Jesus in Mark chapter 10 the most. It is the church that got it wrong. It is the people who claim to know God that got it wrong. In fact, just because you can see, it doesn't mean that you see it right. And just because you know who Jesus is, it doesn't mean that you know Jesus. We all need Jesus. We all need something from Jesus. And so we are invited to come. But perhaps what is true, if you're like me, we've all tried to manipulate Jesus or barter with Jesus. Am I by myself? We've all tried to use our relationship with Jesus to secure things that are not consistent with his teaching. And contrary to the way he uses his power, you know that prayer when you, somebody you don't like and you say, get them, Jesus. <laughs> Would it be safe to say this morning, church, that sometimes we come to Jesus and all we want is the hookup? Anybody like me ever came to Jesus and said, hook me up, Jesus? I know you didn't use those words, but sometimes we exploit our relationship with Jesus. Of course, God does want to bless us. Beloved, said John, I wish above all things that you might prosper and be in health even as your soul prosper. God supplies our needs and some of our wants. We're told to come to God boldly, but we're told to walk with God in humility. And somewhere in there is the position that God blesses. In every scenario that I'm about to give you, I'm going to give you five scenarios here. There are people who are coming to Jesus and they need a particular result. Some of the positions, petitions are just, some of them are self-centered. In each scenario that I'm about to give you, there are also what we call gatekeepers. Someone or something that attempts to keep the petitioner from securing that which they seek. These people, here's the irony of the text, they actually believe they're working on behalf of God. When they hold people back and when they hold people down, there are people who believe they are doing God's work and doing so. And finally, in each illustration that I'm about to give you, thank God, somebody thank God for Jesus. That Jesus shows up in the text with the agenda of instructing both petitioners and gatekeepers alike. Jesus clarifies his identity and his position in every circumstance. Just because you know who Jesus is does not mean that you know Jesus. 
whenever his will is cloudy and his identity and intentions are misrepresented, Jesus himself shows up in the text to say, this is who I am, and this is what I would have you do. Jesus is there in every circumstance to say, listen, church, no, 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 I know you think you know me, but I reject, I resist your understanding of me. It is not right. It is not righteous. And then he does not let them fly on autopilot because for Jesus to let us operate in self-righteous and do resistance from a self-righteous position, then he knows what's at stake when we operate that way. It is the lives of people. You see, this is not role play. What you and I are doing here, this is not role play. This is real life. This is live. This is not a practice game. This is not the inner squad scrimmage, y'all. This is lights, camera, action, real people, real problems, real need, real life circumstances and conditions. And Jesus says this, what would happen if everybody at Common Ground got it right? What if we operated with a true sense of God righteousness and not our own cultural righteousness? Who would be saved? Who would be healed? Who would not be hungry anymore? Who would not be lonely? Who could leave this encounter with more joy, more hope, more peace, more belief, more understanding? Who might not experience discrimination? Who could embrace our culture? This is important. Who would be comfortable coming back? Who might invite a friend? Who might not be blind anymore? And who might leave us believing in Jesus? In every illustration that I'm about to give you, Jesus knows that we get it wrong. So he does us a demonstration. He literally acts it out for us. And so doing, Jesus gives us four things. I want you to write this down. I don't have a slide for this. Every time Jesus moves to give us clarity of his identity, he's given us four things. Number one, he's given us information. He's saying to you, I know what you think, but if you're doing it in my name, you should know what I think. Here's the information. This is who I really am, and this is what I would really do. I know what you think. But the information says, but this is who I really am. And this is what I would really do. Number two, instruction. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to treat them. And this is how and when I want you to do it. Jesus gives us instruction. Number three, Jesus indicts us. If you really understood me, if you really knew me, then you would know my heart. You would have represented me well, but you are mistreating people in my name. And number four, he does not leave us that indictment. Am I talking to anybody this morning that loves the fact that we serve a God who will indict us, but he will not leave us there? He does not leave us that indictment. When he's finished indicting us, number four, he gives us an invitation. Here's the invitation for you to be realigned with my agenda and renewed in my spirit. 
so that you can properly represent me. Come on, somebody, just shout with me. Thank God for not leaving us. <laughs> Add indictment. So let's get to some of these scenarios. Then I got three big points for you, and then I'm going to let you go. So scenario number one in Mark, Mark starts off, and he says, let me give you an illustration. The first illustration is uh, there are some people who bring their children so that Jesus can pray for them. Sounds innocent enough. I got children. He's the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I can only do so much with my parental power. Jesus sees what I don't see. He knows the future. He knows the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. It looks like it would be a good thing to bring my children so that Jesus can bless them. Innocent request, except the disciples say, no, they cannot come. Here are some people who, who believe they're representing Jesus. They believe they're protecting his time. They believe that he just doesn't have time for this right now. And so when they bring their children to see Jesus, the disciples thinking they know him, thinking they understand him, thinking that they're working on his behalf, thinking that they're doing righteous resistance, actually keep people from getting to Jesus. And it is Jesus who steps up here and says, no, 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 they can come, you get back because you don't know me. You don't represent me. Suffer the little children to come. Because this is who I really am. And this is what I would really do. I would let them come. Children are so important. And the text says little children. And the disciples resist them. But Jesus rebukes the disciples. Because y'all not really working the way that I would have you work. And for a second... I thought that this was a great request and a good way to start the sermon because I, too, want Jesus to bless my children. Am I preaching to anybody this morning that wants Jesus to bless their children? I want to show you a picture of my children. Like, y'all don't know me. Y'all getting to know me. So I thought, like, that's my family right there, right? That's, that's my get down. That's, that's my two son-in-laws are in there. I got a marker here. It's Terrence, Kenneth, Christopher, Stephen, Kendra, Paige. Uh, that's Stephen's brother, Mike, and that's our youngest son, Jacob, right? So that's my family. Two years ago, we did a, a pandemic wedding. Got a couple more pictures. Like, that's, that's, that's Lori and I. That's our five, right? That's how we get down. Like, but here, those are our grandsons right there, right? That's how we get down, All right? So here's what I want you to know, yeah. So there's, there's all of us, right? But I can't bring my children to Jesus. But my children are grown. They got minds of their own. And they live all over the place. <laughs> so I have to hope that that little children thing applies to big children as well. Anybody else in the building that hope that that little children thing applies to big children? Right? So here's what I decided to do. Y'all know where I'm going with this sermon. I got to go on. Is there anybody else like me that goes to sleep sometimes worrying about their children. I'm going to stop my sermon. I'm calling a timeout in the middle of my sermon. When I was preparing, I was talking to Pastor E. So, man, I can't be the only one with children all over the map, got their own mind, doing their own thing, right? right? I don't tuck them in at night. 
because they don't come home at night, right? <laughs> but I still need God to bless us. Would it be okay for just a minute if we pray for our children? Anybody good with that? Come on, lift your hand. Put your children in mind. I looked this up. It was so important to me that I stopped my sermon to do it. There's an article online. You might go get it. There's 40 blessing, powerful blessings to pray over your children. I'm just going to do a couple of them. There's all kind of categories like belief and blessing and courage. Pray that our children are content. Pray that in every circumstance that they find something to be encouraged about. Here's one I want to pray. God, I pray that our children will have godly endurance. When things come against them, I pray that they understand that greater are you on the inside of them than he that is in the world. I pray for favor over our children. Like Job, God, I pray for their forgiveness if they've done anything that's against you. Would you let your grace cover them? Would you give help? Would you restore help in some circumstances? Would you always let them be hopeful and joyful? Would you let them walk in humility? God, I pray that our children are obedient and learn to be obedient. I pray that the peace of God would guard their hearts and minds. Now, God, I pray for supernatural provision, that they would come to understand their purpose. Is anybody praying with me? I pray for a spirit of self-control over young and old. God, this is so important for me. I pray for strength. I pray for spiritual submission. I pray that they learn to trust you. I pray that they will not be attracted to the wrong people. Hallelujah. God, would you keep the wrong people away? Would you keep away undue influences? Would you let them love you all the days of their lives and when and where they have gone astray? Would you renew a sense of love for you? Would you bring them back like the prodigal son? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you cover them with your blood? And will they always take advantage of the blood you shed for them? God, we have so much more. But since I'm preaching, I'm going to leave it right here. Come on, let's give God praise. So, so, so the first scenario, thank you for that. That's my family. The first scenario is when the disciples rebuke the children. The second scenario that Mark raises for us in, in Mark chapter 10 is that there's this young man that comes, and he's got resources, and he's got means. And he comes to Jesus wanting to know what he can do to get eternal life. And Jesus tells him about the commandments. He's like, man, I got all that covered. And Jesus gives him this invitation like he gives all of us. He says, now you've done ritual, but I'm going to give you an invitation to relationship. He simply says to him, uh, go liquidate all your assets and give the money to the poor. And I want you to come and follow me and help me heal hurting broken people. The Bible says that he goes away sad. Because he does not want to work his way into the kingdom. He does not want to serve God. He does not want to love God. He does not want to follow God. His God is money. He does not choose to love God more than wealth. Even though Jesus specifically promised him treasures in heaven. 
This man was more interested in earthly treasures of men. Wealth was his God instead of the true and living God. In every situation, Jesus is showing us this is what you have to do. And so that man, he came to Jesus. He wanted the number one. And in the third scenario, Peter sees that, and Peter begins to barter with Jesus. Peter spoke up and said, well, wait a minute, Jesus. He, he, he's rich, and he doesn't love you. He's rich, and he doesn't serve you. But we gave up everything to serve you. When are we going to be balling out of control? When are we going to get ours? When are we going to come into financial uh, 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 another level? And Jesus tells Peter, wait a minute, Peter, I have to instruct you. Peter, I don't want you to serve me for things. I don't want you to serve me for money. I don't want you to serve me. Your heart is wrong, Peter. I don't want you to serve me for blessings. But Peter, I will bless you if you serve me. See now who's getting it wrong in the text. The disciples, the church people are getting it wrong. The rich, the powerful, they're getting it wrong. And Peter gets it wrong. And the fourth scenario has to do with two more people who have walked with him, James and John, who are disciples. They come to Jesus with this self-righteous request. Grant that we can sit one on your right hand and another on your left hand when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' question for all of us is, yeah, but how is that going to help you serve people better? What you're asking me is not mine to give, but it's selfish. And by the way, James and John, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life for a ransom. And so there's these four scenarios out there that Mark gives us of re disciples rejecting children, people coming wanting to use their money as influence, wanting to barter with Jesus, and wanting to get the hook up. And so then what Mark does is that he tells the story of blind Bartimaeus to bring all of these stories into a harmony, into a conclusion. And for the next few minutes, I just want to focus on that story. Bible says that when they went, came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, his name was Bartimaeus, he was sitting along the roadside begging. And when he heard that it is Jesus, I'm going to break that down in just a few minutes, he began to shout. Does anybody else shout when they see Jesus? Are you excited? Does Jesus make you shout? But many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. They said, shut up. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. And Jesus, in essence, says, no, he doesn't have to shut up. You shut up. So they called the blind man. He said, cheer up. Get on your feet. He's calling you. Throw your cloak aside. He jumped up to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I just want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. He immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus. And Mark says that this story helps bring the other four stories that I told you into proper God alignment. Now, what this reveals, church, is that there are three personalities in the text. I'm going to help you see this. Three people in the text, three personalities. I'm going to give them to you right now. As we encounter Jesus, as we work for Jesus, what we always see, right, as we go out to say we're Christians and we're trying to interface with the world and represent God, 
and, and deal with people. What we ultimately see is that there are three personalities. Let me give them to you. The first personality revealed in Mark chapter 10 are seekers. Might have that slide. Yeah, the seekers. Now, these are people in the text and in life that you will encounter who know they need God. They are the vulnerable in life and in the text. They have disfavorable conditions that they are enduring. And this text is blind Bartimaeus and the children whose parents know that I'm not going to be able to do it unless Jesus helps me. Bartimaeus cannot see in the physical realm. He is poor. He is a beggar, but he is a blind beggar. He is dependent upon the generosity of others. If God doesn't move on somebody's heart to throw some money in my pail, I'm not going to make it today. That when I stand in this position on the side of the road, I'm trusting God that someone who doesn't see me as favorable, but their heart will be me moved to contribute to my situation. He's totally dependent, y'all. He's easy to dismiss. He's easy to overlook. He represents the underprivileged in our society. The disenfranchised, the poor, the broken, the least, the last, and the lost. Bartimaeus is shut off. And Bartimaeus is shut out. He represents those of us who, though, even though we can see, we can't see our way. We need God to make a way out of no way. They cannot count on the system to regard them. They need a supernatural move of God. They say things like, all of my appointed time, like Job, right? <laughs> I'm going to wait till my change comes. They are counting on God. Seekers are counting on God. The second personality that's revealed in the text and that you and I will face in life are silencers. These are people who God intends to use to bless the seekers. They've been blessed to be a blessing. They were positioned so that they would deal with a group of people who are seekers. They don't understand that that's why they're blessed. They don't understand that that's why they don't have the same condition. They've been blessed to be a blessing. They too believe they represent God, but in fact, they are not in tune with God or his agenda. And the text, the disciples, and the crowd that tells Bartimaeus to be quiet are all silencers. Peter, when he wants more money, he's a silencer. James and John, when they want favor with Jesus that they haven't earned, they're silencers. They've been blessed, and everything they own belongs to God. But God cannot count on them to share their resources or to factor into the healing of other people. They are barriers to forward movement. They insist on things moving at the pace of their own comfortability. They tell hurting people the acceptable way to protest. We know how you should do it. They do not want to be inconvenienced. When the hurting cry out to God, they insist that you are making too much noise. This is not your time. In all scenarios, they maintain power and control. I was thinking about this. Mark and I, Mark, the writer of Mark, and we were wrestling as I, as I did this sermon. 
I'm like, Mark, like, that's cool, but nobody's going to identify with the seeker because we live in a time where it's not politically correct to tell them to shut up. <laughs> so if I preach this, Mark, nobody's going to be a seeker. Everybody's going, oh, yeah, that ain't me. Mark says, well, tell them what it means in 2022. I was like, cool, I will. In 2022, silencers don't say no. They don't say shut up. Modern day silencers say stuff like, wait. They say, wait. It's going to happen if you wait. But I'm hungry. How long you want me to wait? It's going to happen. If you wait, but I don't have any money and I'm homeless, how long do you want me to wait? The modern day silencer says, well, it's better than it used to be, right? We did elect a black president. Things are getting better. There are no white only signs, right? We, we cool, right? They force everyone to acclimate to their culture and their speed, their pace, and their timing. You see the difference uh, in the seeker? If seekers are counting on God, then silencers are counting their money and counting on their power, influence, position, and status. They need God but not the way seekers need him, or they don't know that they do. Now, here's where it can all go crazy, right? Because I know all of y'all with me so far. And I, I'm just I'm about to get to the preaching part of my text. But check this out. You're like, you ain't been preaching, right? Like, uh, yeah, I'm going to make this make sense. But I got to show y'all an image, right? And I need everybody to kind of be prepared for this. And to, it's not political, though it, I've been warned it's hard to show this image and it not be political. But, but I'm putting you on your honor. I need everybody to say, we're going to chill. We're going to be cool. Y'all going to tell me that? Y'all going to be cool? Can I show y'all this and, and nobody leave? Y'all be chill. Y'all going to give me a pass for a few minutes? I ain't heard from everybody because I've been preaching hard. <laughs> and I'm right here. And I do not want to lose my sermon right here. So I need this agreement that we're going to be able to see this and, and maintain some cool, right? Y'all going to give me that? All right, all right. Based on what they said, show that image. <laughs> all right, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. Like, no matter where you are with this individual or this image, this image was a lightning rod in our community, right? Everybody agree with that? Extremely controversial, and the reason... It's controversial is because it's complex. It's a very complex image. Like, as a pastor in the black church, I can't tell y'all how many calls I got about <laughs> this image. Right. I, I, I thought about a joke, and I thought I, I'll conclude with this one. I was busier than a set of jumper cables in zero weather, right? That's how busy. I was so busy. Helping people make sense of this image on both sides of political views or whatever. 
So here's, here's what this image is. Here's why this was a, a lighting rod. Everyone believes their foundation is something connected to Jesus. Here's what it was so bad. Pastor, I don't know if you got these calls too. <laughs> I got more than a few. All right. Some people don't believe in God or the Bible and think that it has no place of relevance in policy and decision making. So I was fielding those calls. Some people just say, he's my guy, he's my president, but I don't do the Bible. All right? So that was, that was one. Okay. Some people, it might suggest to those with maybe limited Bible knowledge that if I disagree with you, and God is on your side, then God is not on my side. I feel that that call. Like I was pastor. This brother made me pastor. All right. Here's one of the biggest ones that I got. The, here's his fit. We all have to deal with it. The fact that if I totally disagree with you, but I also believe my position is biblically founded, the argument becomes more heated because. Now, all of a sudden, we're not talking about political positions. We're talking about faith itself. We have two totally different perspectives and positions. And because they are so radically different, we believe that they both cannot have their origin in Scripture. And so for some people, this, this, this picture says, to agree with me is to agree with God. And for some people, it says, to disagree with me is also to disagree with God. There's no way that you can serve the God that I serve and believe what you believe. This is the controversy. It is the perpetual, continual fight and argument that in and of itself will never let us come together because this is more than a system issue. Now, this has been elevated to a faith system issue. All of a sudden, it's more about how we view God than how we view one another. I don't believe in or support you, and if God does, then now I don't believe in or support God. Here's the answer that I would just give to you. Right, wrong, indifferent, this is what I believe. Nobody owns God, but we do all own our understanding of him. Nobody owns the Bible, but we do get to own our interpretation of it, right? What we have to acknowledge is that we all see God differently. We have needed him differently. We have understood and approached him differently. Our understanding of God is in many ways as varied and as different as we are. So when we want to blend a space, say like a common ground, we must understand that we don't just have cultural differences, we actually see God differently. And of course, my way is right, right? And you should do it like I do it. Not understanding that the way you do it doesn't speak to someone else's need or understanding. And if I do it your way, I would feel less faithful to God. We have to acknowledge this at the foundation of our relationship. God is who he is. He does not change. He loves us all, but we all see him differently. The good news is that we all acknowledge God. 
So as we look to him, disciples, as we look to him, James and John, as we look to him, Peter, as we look to him, crowd that tells Bartimaeus to shut up and Bartimaeus, he will clarify his identity and position, and then we can all acquiesce to who he really is, not just who we believe him to be or need him to be. The good thing about this is it was a lightning rod because so many people believe in the Bible. We just see it differently. So then we need, if that is true, we need the third personality revealed in the text. Because if we, if we stop here, we're a mess. If we stop here, we're divided. If we stop here, all we do is indict one another. Try to give one another our information. Try to instruct one another. And we indict one another. And we never, like Jesus, invite one another into the realm. So this is what Jesus says. The third personality is the Savior in the text. Come on, give God praise for the Savior. The seeker and the silencer are at odds, and they both believe in Jesus. So what we need to do, consistent in Mark's theme, is that we all need to look to Jesus, and he will tell us who he is. Jesus is in proximity to us all. Jesus loves seekers and silencers. That's bad news for seekers. We don't want Jesus to love silencers, but he does. Seekers and silence, seekers give silencers an opportunity to prove that they know the Savior. When we are blessed, we are blessed to be a blessing. Jesus appears in every circumstance with the agenda of giving information and instruction. He indicts, but today at Common Ground, he also invites. He invites all of us. Jesus clarifies that he is who we know him to be. It's just that he's bigger than we understand him to be. Jesus offers all of us an opportunity to grow. We serve him by serving one another. Jesus does not hate who you hate. And Jesus loves people and purposes that you don't like. So Jesus asks all of us, what's going to help you serve people? Because here's what's true. You should write this down. You are no more connected to Jesus than the way you treat people. You're no more connected to Jesus than the way you treat people. What about this? Because this, this, this one, ouch. Everybody say, ouch. You are no more committed to God than you are committed to people. All people, particularly the poor. So here's what Jesus would say. Okay, Trump pitcher. Okay, Democrat, Republican. Okay, liberal, conservative, whatever you, however you identify yourself. Jesus would say this. Here's the litmus test. How are people doing under your rule and under your reign? I only care about people. I don't care about your politics. Jesus would come out and he would simply say this. People over politics. People over programs. People over philosophies. People over practices, people over positions, people over prosperity. 
How are people doing? What are you doing for the poor? How are you exercising what I've blessed you with to advance the cause of people? That's all I want. Y'all call yourselves whatever label y'all want to give yourselves. But I only care about people. So here we are. Let me just finish this text like this. Then they came to Jericho. Jesus and disciples with a large crowd. They were leaving the city, blind man. Uh, he was on the roadside begging. Jesus said, I allow him to be blind. And yeah, if, if you knew me, if you knew me, if you knew me, you would know that he's somebody's opportunity to prove that they know me. It's like if you really know me, you really can't keep passing him by. Right? If you know me, you know that he's positioned and you think you're doing better than him, but he's really your blessing. He's your opportunity to show what's in your heart. He's your opportunity to show that you know me. And you keep passing him by. But listen, if you're Bartimaeus, let's look from the perspective of Bartimaeus. Isn't it amazing how Jesus can find you even when there's a crowd? <laughs> That you're down today. This is not your day. But somebody rejoiced to me. There are a lot of people who want Jesus' attention. But you're on the side. You're a beggar. You're blind. But he still finds you. And the Bible says that he's leaving town. But he will not leave before he blesses Bartimaeus. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And his ears are attentive to the cry, righteous being not wealthy, not, not political status. Just who's righteous? That if you're righteous, you can be broke, and I'm with you. By the way, money doesn't mean you're not righteous, right? And the Bible says that, but wait a minute, when Jesus comes, that he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. Either or, or you're not. The Bible says that the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them out of all their troubles. So here's Bartimaeus, and this is his time. This is his season because he's poor, he's broke, he's blind, but he's righteous. He ain't got no money, but he's righteous. He didn't go to school, couldn't read the books. He doesn't know what you know, but he's righteous. God says, yo, that's what I look for. That's all I need. Anybody want to be righteous in the house? The Bible says that he heard that Jesus in Nazareth was there, and he began to shout. And hearing that it was Jesus in his midst, would not mean anything if he hadn't previously heard about Jesus. Jesus being there doesn't mean anything unless he had previously heard that Jesus is a healer. That he knew something about Jesus, that Jesus was a deliverer. This was his chance, so he went for it. And the Bible says, seek the Lord while we may be found and call upon him while he is near. And then here we are. But some rebuked him, silencers, and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more. Many people were against him. 
and told him to be quiet. Yeah, whenever you and I are trying to do something for God, trying to do better, we have to be able to contend with silencers. Everybody has silencers who tell us that this is not our time. Sisters, they tell us, don't you know your place? My place, sisters, tell me if you agree with me, is wherever God has called me to, that's my place. Wonder why nobody cried out for on his behalf. He didn't have any advocates in this situation. As opposed to joining their voices with his, right, which is what the righteous would have been required to do, right, they opposed him. I'm just about finished, but I want, I want to tell you how violent it is to tell him to shut up. Telling Bartimaeus to shut up was one of the worst insults you could throw upon somebody. It was, for seekers, it's traumatic. Telling me to shut up is really damning me to my circumstance and my condition. Telling me to shut up says that you think that's where I should be, and you think that's where I should stay, and you tell me to shut up. Why, Pastor? Make that make sense. Shut up says a few things. One, it says you have no value. Two, it says you have nothing to say. Three, it says you're disruptive. Four, it says Jesus does not have time for you. I know Jesus. I know he don't have time for you. Five, it says you're making too much noise. Now, listen, because you're talking to a man like me, right, who has experienced being shut out. I, and perhaps you, have been in situations where you clearly knew you were shut out. Right? I'm in Indiana State. I'm studying for this accounting final. I ain't good at accounting, so I go to the library at 8 in the morning. I leave at 5 to go get something to eat. And I'm going back to spend the night in the library to, to do this accounting final. On my way back to the library, I see this young lady. She got a tennis racket. She in my class. She got the same final tomorrow. She going to play tennis. I'm like, I know a lot of people are smarter than me, but nobody could be this much smarter than me, right? So I say, hey, what's up? Like, you ready for this test? She says to me, no, man, I'm not tripping on the test. We got a copy of the final. And I'm shut out. <laughs> this is bad because I know they're going to they gonna go to the test tomorrow figuring out which ones they should get wrong so they don't appear like they stole the final, right? I got to go in there and try to see how I can get it right. In life, there are circumstances and situations where we all play color notwithstanding and we get shut out. How many of you, like me, has ever come home, hit the light switch, and nothing happened? <laughs> and you find out there's not an outage in your area. <laughs> Anybody ever been shut off? I've been shut out, and I've been shut out. But that's not bad, right? Because that's life. 
we can handle that. It's when I'm shut out and I'm shut off and you also tell me to shut up. Right? Because death and life are in the power of my tongue. I mean, I can't use my tongue to speak a better future for myself. You won't even let me use my tongue. I have so much more for you, but it's definitely time to quit today. I want to pray for you. I came to this church a, a year ago. And for a year, I thought of nothing more than blending how we could blend this church. Like, y'all ain't hire me to November, but I was working for y'all much longer. <laughs> Pastor Eric and I used to meet right here. And I think I know the secret to everything coming together. We just have to pray that the spirit of the silencer has no room in this ministry. If we can pray that prayer, then I know that we can do what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. God, I have so much more to preach. And, but I think your point was, was, was well given. We all know you differently. And now you've given us a chance to grow. You do not change. But it is clear that you are bigger than we understand you are. I thank you that your litmus test is this and only this. How does it bless people? And so, Father, as we leave today, I pray now that you will give us the anointing to look past the barriers that we've placed you on. We've tried to force you to operate within our perspectives, our traditions, our comfortability. All of us have done that. And now here we are. God, more what I feel more today than anything, as we sit here, if we heard this word online, we thank you for this invitation to grow and to know you in ways that we have not known you before. God, I rebuke, I resist the spirit of the silencer that's inside of me. I only want to be used so that I reflect you well. And I pray now, God, that I see seekers as my opportunity to demonstrate that I know you and I love you. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's give God praise for his word.